Yehudi Boker Tov. You're listening to the Jewish Reaction presented by the Orthodox Union on the Nachum Siegel Network. This is Naftali Herman filling in for Ellie Hagler. I thank Ellie again for this amazing opportunity to host the show and look forward to hearing him back in his usual spot next week. You can always find the show each and every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m., immediately following JM and the AM at NachumSiegel.com. And you could also find previously aired programs by clicking on the Jewish Reaction banner found on NachumSiegel.com. For those of you with smartphones, tablets, and everything of that sort, you can listen to the show, as I do myself, every morning on my commute to the OU. By downloading the NSN app for iPhones, you can easily find this at the iTunes stores, and Android users can head over to Google Play to download this amazing app. Today we'll have on the show Rabbi Ali Gerson, the Orthodox Union's Kashrut Rabbinic Coordinator. He is the OU Recorder of Psak and Policy to discuss every Jewish woman's favorite time of the year, Pesach. Rabbi Gerson is a world-renowned posek, and as one of his colleagues quoted to me earlier today, he is, quote, the leading expert when it comes to Pesach and Kashrut. Rabbi Gerson will be sharing with us some of the exciting updates for this year as we prepare for Pesach. Rabbi Gerson, welcome to the Jewish Reaction. Thank you very much. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to have you here. So I have in front of me, the, uh, as you do as well, the, um, the all-new 2014 OU Guide for Passover, of which you are part of the Rabbinic Editorial Committee. It looks amazing and will undoubtedly be a tremendous resource to Jews across the globe as they prepare for Pesach, which, as crazy as it might be, is 13 days away. Wow. That's really, really amazing. I mean, what goes into this? Oh, I mean, there's a, there's a lot that went into this uh, publication this year and every year. Um, you know, people, don't, I don't think, appreciate that this, this really starts uh, months and months before, even before Hanukkah, we're already starting to work on Pesach. And, you know, Pesach at the OU is really a year-round business. It's not just something, you know, most people think of Pesach, you know, come Rosh Chodesh. Uh, that's when they begin to think of it. And at the OU, we're doing productions for Pesach literally all year round. So, uh. Pesach rolls out and we're already working we're on already, the next Pesach. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, and this, and this, uh, you know, this magazine, which has in it, you know, basically all the OU for Pesach, uh, products. Um, now, I should just mention that the, you know, all the products that are in here were current as of the date of the of publication. But of course, there are always new products that are added. And, you know, for, for, uh, printing reasons, this thing, you know, has to go out many weeks in advance. Right. And there are always updates. To get the latest updates or, you know, you want to check a product, there is an OU app for, uh, for Passover. Um, and you, you know, you could check it out on, you know, at the OU, uh, website, you know, give you information about it. And then I guess you have to go to the app store and, you know, download it. And it has in it, you know, so all the OU kosher for Pesach products, uh, has all types of, uh, articles in there that are relevant for, you know, for how to do patikas chametz, how to kosher your home. Everything you need to know basically is in there. So. Wow, and the the website to access that is probably ou-kosher.org, and which will exactly, uh, and then that'll uh, you start over there, and then you'll click on Passover section. That'll take you to the OU Passover uh, uh, website, and uh, you know you could do searches for products. You could look for you know who makes uh, kosher for Pesach uh, yogurt, who makes kosher for Pesach cream cheese. You know, get all the different brands. You know, maybe. You know, you want to be looking for a specific brand. Um, whatever you need to know, it's all in there. Wow. 
So, so let's go through some of the basics because I actually have a, a bunch of questions that uh, you know over my years that I've come across. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a Yekish home, um, and so for us Pesach, you're, you're saying that the OU starts preparing for Pesach right afterwards. <laughs> so we're we're preparing for Pesach like 2017 already in, 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 in my parents' house. Um, <laughs> but um, I mean, literally, I think it was like. I feel like Sukkot like ended, and it was already like, don't bring food upstairs. You know, <laughs> we're, we're at that zaman already. <laughs> so, um, so you know, every every home is different. The way people prepare is different. Um, you know, I remember learning about people literally going through um, going through their farm, going through their books. You know, page right. by page, emptying out stuff. Um, you know, I remember as as a child, and and, and you know, I I would love if you could um, shed some light on this. Is that I grew up? We were we were uh, we were seven kids, and so it was a uh, we really conquered the entire house, going through you know all the various things that we had. But I remember sitting in the bathroom, going through um, like the shampoos and the soaps and all of those things. And then we don't do that so much anymore. I feel like things have changed a little bit. Right, that's true. Um, you know, in general, uh, there, there's a general rule with, with regards to Pesach and regard to uh, foods the rest of the year as well, where we say if something is is not, uh, you know, it's not Royal Achila, it's not Royal Achila's Kelev for Pesach, it has a higher standard even, um, then, you know, then it's not, it's like it was destroyed before Pesach, just like we take our chametz out and we burn it. Um, we basically turn it into something inedible, we turn it into ash. Uh, it's not a concern after that. We don't have to do anything with that ash. We don't have to bury it. We don't have to, you know. So similarly, um, if you had chametz and you, you know, you added certain chemicals and you know bleach or different you know things to it, and you made it inedible, then even um, you know you don't. There's no need to get rid of it on Pesach. So you know, most of the the soaps and shampoos and and items like household cleansers, um, you know, you're you know, your, your bleach, obviously. Most of these things don't even have any chametz in them to begin with. Um, but you never know, and some people aren't experts in reading ingredients, and they don't know exactly what is and isn't chametz. So people get concerned about these things. But in, the general rule is, if it's not something that you could even feed to an animal, it's something poisonous, it's something, you know, like uh, you know, like soaps and, and things like that, it's, it's really not a concern at all. Now, there, there could be things that are really, are not, uh, poisons. I think there, uh, Vino. I think makes like a bath, uh, an oatmeal, um, you know, powder, which which might just be plain oatmeal, you know, and you throw it into your bath along with. Mm-hmm. It, it isn't really a, a soap or anything like that. In some, such a case, it's possible that there could be a problem. Um, I think there are some some uh, glues where they're really. Uh, it's not really a glue. It's more like a. Uh, it's still similar to what it talks about in, in the Shulchan Aruch about that you used to take flour and water and make like a paper mache type of uh, mixture out of it, and uh, you know so it's possible that you could have things that are you know common sick, but those are you know if it's your average type of cleanser that you're buying or your average type of glue, your Elmers and things like that, they're not they're not edible, and it's really not a concern if you have something that you know you don't know what it is, it's just a, a flour packet. And then, okay, you know, obviously put it away. Don't use it on Pesach. Uh, if you sell chametz, so then, you know, you could sell it with the rest of the chametz. 
uh, people who are more careful. Some it's, it's become a, a trend to look in these lists, and then people want to know which things I can use and not use. And you know, it's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with using those lists. Uh, you know, the question is whether it's, it's necessary. You know, is it just an added uh, an added chore? You know, so but uh, for the most part, most of these types of items are not a problem. Where it becomes more sensitive are items that go into one's mouth, toothpaste, mm. mouthwash, um, lip balms, and things which people you know tend to lick and they end up getting in, it. exactly. Right. So those are much more sensitive items, and there are different opinions about that. Even when it comes to, to items like toothpaste or mouthwash. There are some postkim that are that say you know it's still it's not edible. It's true it goes in one's mouth, but it's just meant as a cleanser. It's you know it's not really uh, edible. You, you're not meant to eat it, and person maybe you know ends up swallowing a little bit, but it's not something that they really intend to do. And then the others that say that no, you know they they put nice flavors in these things. Mm-hmm. They 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 do have a you know they have a, at least a decent taste to them, and people don't mind swallowing them. And therefore, it is a concern, and each person should follow what they're you know what their uh, rabbi or their uh, halakha consultant tells them to do, and so that's a, one area where I would say definitely look on the lists. Right. And if you can get one that's you know uh, certified or at least uh, everyone knows there's no chametz in it, you should you know that that would be much much better than you know them, them just buying an average one off the shelf. Right. So you make reference to something that uh, that a dog wouldn't eat. But, exactly. So, but what about something? And I'm I. You know, I look at the uh, ingredients, something, something, it's all chemicals, I have no idea what it is. But what about, okay, so it's a given, it's something that a dog wouldn't eat, but what about the idea of owning chametz? Is that that another level? Right, so the the rules actually follow each other. If if you have chametz that a dog wouldn't eat, you're allowed to own it as well. Um, And if a dog would eat it, so then um, you're not allowed to own it. whether you're allowed to eat it, uh, well, obviously you wouldn't want to if it's something that uh, a human can't eat. But there is a there, there could be middle grounds on that too. Uh, but in general, the general rule is, uh, you know, if if it's something that you're not allowed to own, you would have to sell it anyway. So, um, you know, but uh, we're really not concerned about your 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 soaps and your detergents and all these types of things, they, there's no question that they are not fit for any animal consumption. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, there might be some, some crazy dog out there that might, <laughs> you know, might be intrigued by the smell and might come over and sniff it and lick it or something. That doesn't make it, uh, that doesn't make it that it, that's fit for animal consumption. We all know that, right. you know, you have to keep your animals away from these things and, you know. <laughs> and, and, ju- and just in case we have any listeners who are aligned with PETA, the OU does not have a conscious apartment as d- that has a lot of dogs tasting different things <laughs> and, you know, seeing if it works or not. It does not happen here. No, absolutely <laughs> it's just not. just a general idea exactly. that we follow. That's right. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, another qu- question. C- could you break down the, because um, um, these are things I get confused about every year uh, coming into Pesach. Um, you know, what is kidneyos and what is gabrux? Um I know they're two different things, but I always think that they're the same thing every year. <laughs> um, and just give us a, a basic overview of those. Okay, sure. So um, kidneyos is a mimic of, uh, of Ashkenazim. Um this uh, dates back uh, several hundred years already. Uh, times of the Rishonim, they discussed this this uh, minig that uh, Ashkenazi Jews wouldn't eat certain grains on Pesach, and there were various reasons given for why. 
um, either because these grains might get conf- one might get confused. They they look a little bit like the the five grains: the wheat, the the barley, oats, rye, and spelt. Those five grains are, of course, the five grains that we make matzah out of, and they're the five grains that can become chametz. And it's only those five grains. Um, but because those five grains, you know, uh, are very small, of course, and they're turned into flour, and it's very hard to recognize them in certain forms. Um, you know, person, you know, is it, who's, who, you know, who can really say that they can uh, recognize an oat flour from a from a rice flour? You know, obviously the two can be, get very easily confused, and a person could then end up taking the wrong flour and making cookies on, you know, on Pesach and. He meant to make rice cookies, and he ends up making chametz sticker cookies. So, already, uh, for many hundreds of years, the minig was that, uh, basically, grains or beans, the word kidney oat means, uh, you know, means refer- is, is a word that refers to beans, or refers to small, you know, the word katan means small, means, you know, small grains. So, basically, uh, all these small grains, we don't eat them on Pesach. So that includes uh, peas and beans and rice and corn and buckwheat and millet and, you know, you name it, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that, that they had back then. Um, you know, so we, we still... Uh, and, and even things like mustard. And mustard we don't tend to think of as a, you know, as a typical kidneyos item because it's, uh, you know, we, we turned it into, uh, you know, we, we eat it as a, as a dip, as a, as a liquid form, yeah. you know, of mustard. In fact, I don't think most people would, you know, uh, think to consider it in the same category as rice and and beans. But uh, actually, it's interesting because mustard is one of the few items that we for sure know is kidneyos because that's listed by the Ramah. Uh, in Shocharach, he actually lists uh, mustard as one of the examples of kidneyos. And the reason why it is is because it grows in a pod. The little mustard seeds, they grow in a, in a pod-shaped uh, item and... One of the concerns was because since wheat also grows in pods and uh, beans and you know all the other kidneyos things grow in pods, mm-hmm. um, I mean, wheat's not really a pod, but it's like in a shell. It grows in a husk. Right. So therefore, they said other things that grow in the same manner are, are considered kidneyos as well. So again, it becomes very broad. How, how exactly to define it? And uh, you know, many people quote you know from Moshe Feinstein that uh, well, it basically follows the minic. And whatever there was a minig not to eat, that's the, you know, so. The, the Masora that Exactly, we exactly. The exact definition of it is confusing, um, but the, the more practical application of it is, is it follows the Masora. It follows ex- exactly the minig. And since there was a minig not to eat all these different items, therefore we don't eat them on Pesach. So I have to ask, on the yeah, heels yeah, of that, uh, which everyone, and I know there's an article on it, there was one, I think, in Jewish Action, there's recipes as well, there's quinoa. Exactly, right? right. Or, or, That's qui- the, or as men like to read it off of paper, <laughs> quino. <laughs> right? So how does, there's no masora as, as much as I'm aware of with quinoa. It's, it's a fairly new thing that was grown. I mean, you can give us more of a background on it. But how does that come out to play in today's okay, world? Okay, so, so that became the whole, called, you know, the question, the controversy, however you want to refer to it, about how do, exactly do we classify quinoa? Um, you know, so quinoa is a relatively, uh, at least in, in the Jewish world, it's a very relatively new grain. You know, it, of course, it, the grain existed for thousands of years, <laughs> and um, you know, people have been eating it in you know, the uh, in, in Peru, the the Incas. You know, they've been eating this this uh, grain for thousands of years, but it's only come known in Jewish circles. 
very, very recently. Which must mean it never existed before, right? <laughs> exactly. We didn't know about it. Yeah, if you have to look at the Jewish cookbooks, you won't find it. So, exactly. So, uh, you know, there there really is no minig per se about how to deal with it. Um, many would say, well, let's look at it. You know, let's see. Does it does it look like a like kidneys? Does it, you know, does it uh, function the same way? Is it used the same way? Um, and if it meets all the criteria of kidneys, then maybe we should consider it a kidneys as well. Or at least, even if it isn't yet kidneys, and you say there isn't yet a minig on it, we should establish a minig. We should start. We should begin such a minig and 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 begin to to uh, you know to not to eat it because the same concerns that the Rishonim had for thousands of years, you know, you know, not thousands, but hundreds of years, you know, those same concerns. Maybe you should say they apply over here as well. Right. On the other hand. Uh, there are arguments that can be made why the same concerns don't exactly apply. Okay, so uh, for instance, uh, quinoa is usually used as a, um, you know, it's served as a, as like a, you would like rice, you know, it's served like a, like a whole grain, right. and you eat it together with your chicken, or uh, to use it as a, for baking, um, is not, is not uh, as commonly done. Uh, I've read different articles about why people don't want to bake with quinoa. Apparently it has a very bitter taste to it. That's it a works, good enough reason right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they said it works well in savory dishes. It doesn't work well in sweet dishes. And then they, I saw different um, advice on how to fix up your quinoa flour. You could pre-bake it, and that uh, takes care of some of the bitterness. And you could, the different, you know, different advice on how to, but, you know, so even for gluten-free people who try to, you know, obviously don't want to use the, the five grains, they use other, they'll typically use other grains. They might have a little bit of quinoa flour put in because it's supposed to be a very healthy flour. So the argument, and, and this, you know, as many say, is that quinoa is used more as a, it's, it's used for its health benefits. It's, it's baked with, it's cooked with. Um, and it's not, it's not used necessarily the same way as you would, um, you know, your rice flour, your corn flour, uh, even your potato flour today, mm-hmm. you know. Um, of course, potatoes are not considered, the minig already is not to consider them kidneys for various reasons, but. Was, was there a time where that was? Well, thought? there was a time when it was, it was in question. Okay. Okay, so. I, to, I can't imagine a pace off without, everything's exactly. made from potatoes nowadays. Right, so, <laughs> but, you know, a few hundred years ago in the times of the, of the Chayi Adam, um, it, it was brought into question, you know, the potatoes again are also a new world crop. They came from, um, they came from America and they were brought back to Europe. And, you know, they became very popular very quickly because, uh, it was, I guess, easy to grow and they were, it was a plentiful and they, you know, grew in cold climates and whatever, all the different benefits of potatoes. So, um, you know, as it became so popular, people began to question whether we should, you know, we should uh, enact a, a minig, we should start to, you know, not to accept it. And, you know, for various reasons that was not, you know, that such a minig was not accepted. People, like you said, you know, people were already relying on this for Pesach. And, uh, you know, they, they felt if we take away our potatoes, we'll have nothing to eat. So, you know, it, it, there was a controversy, you know, if you want to use the word, there was a, a question at one time, several hundred years ago, um, about 200, I guess about 200 years ago, the Chayyadim lived. You know, but since then that has been resolved and I don't think there's anybody today who has a minig not to eat uh, not to eat potatoes, but so you know the, again these questions come up. You know how do we how do we deal with the quinoa? And the way, in general, it's used at least certainly in in Jewish homes, is not to is not it's not turned into flour and baked with that way. It's used as a um, you know all the recipes I've seen. I think in the OU uh, booklet we even have 
online and in, in the uh, we have some recipes about how to how to cook with quinoa, right. and it's it's all basically using it as like a rice type of uh, substitute. So is, is it because of that reason, because it's really not used so much as a flour, it's, it's really well, used differently that we don't kind of just say, oh, it's not in the kidneyot, uh, misora idea, even though there is no misora for this pati- right. particular so thing. I, I, yeah, I, the way I would say it is that there isn't, there hasn't been a minig for it, and it's, um, you know, and, and this is a reason why people won't want to perpetuate a minig for it, to, to begin a minig for it. Um, I mean, the reason why it's permitted is just ultimately because there is no minic. Um, but isn't the idea of the masora because we're we were afraid it looked it looked too similar? You were saying it was in a shell, exactly. it was in a pod. So I mean, here there's a whole controversy. There's all this concern. It seems too close. We know it's a berry. We know it's not a you know an actual wheat of that sort. Right. So wouldn't through that we be like, oh, well, maybe better not to. Uh, okay. So of course, individuals. Can choose to do as they wish, you know. Right. We're no, though you isn't forcing, <laughs> of course, anybody to eat. Oh, this quinoa. is the staple at my mother's table every Shabbos. <laughs> I mean, we, we eat quinoa, <laughs> right? I understand. And and the OU isn't, um, you know, isn't forcing anybody to do so. And you know, there are a few items out there that um, are. Uh, I, I guess you could say the the Masora has never really been solidified. I'll give another example is peanuts, and that's the chuva that Moshe is actually discussing. Is he writes there that peanuts really are not a problem to eat on Pesach, except there were people who, in their communities, they had a minig not to eat it, and in those communities, um, so then they should not eat it, the peanuts on, on on Pesach. But the rest of the places, if you don't have any minig or you don't know what your minig is. Then you would just follow whatever the minig of the makom is, and you know if the if the people eat. Uh, again, today you don't really see so many people eating it because um, people know that there's a question on it, and they don't really know what the question is. And uh, you know, so uh, there was a time when the OU used to certify peanut oil. They haven't done it in many many years, and again, they're just it's because there's no demand for it. These things, you know. Uh, yeah, people know that there's a question on it, and who knows? Maybe that'll end up happening with quinoa as well. And maybe people will say, you know, the sort of the the consumers will demand that it not be certified. You know? <laughs> it's hard to know, you know, with with minhagim. I mean, another example is, uh, you know, as I say, cottonseed oil. Uh, the OU certifies it. I think most hashgachas in America certify it. In Eretz Yisrael, you will not find cottonseed oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, they consider it uh, to be kidneyous. So. You know, these things, um, you know, the minigamukum uh, oftentimes is what establishes what, what, what is accepted and not accepted. And, um, you, you know, you might end up with a similar type of thing here where the quinoa in America will be eaten and in Arizona won't be eaten. Or, you know, it's hard to know. <laughs> Let's take a musical break. Here's Yaakov Shwaki and Yonatan Rizal singing the Pesach classic, Behi Shamda, from the 2008 Live in Kasaria. Arranged by Yonatan himself. Oh, <laughs> 
You're listening to The Jewish Reaction, presented by the Orthodox Union on the Nachum Siegel Network. This is Naftali Herman filling in for Ellie Hagler. I have here in studio with me Rabbi Gersten, who works within the OU's Contras Department. We're discussing preparations for Pesach. Um, I do want to get into Kabrux in, in, in a moment. Uh, before we do that, um, the last paper on a, of a paper towel on a... Uh, because this this I've heard, and is this an old wives' tale? Is there actually something to this? The the glue or something that's on the cardboard with within the last paper towel. So uh, we mentioned before about glue, um, you know, in the earlier segment, and you know, glue is is something that again, it's not really uh, it's not it's not roy really lachila. It's right. not uh, it's it's. There's another aside from the fact that it's not roy really lachila. It's not you know means it's inedible. It's an inedible item. Um, there's also another concept called when something loses it, what we call tsuras of chametz, it loses its form. It, it's used in a different way, in a non-food use. So, um, you know, you mentioned uh, paper towels, but you know, you can have a similar question about uh, starched paper plates. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, napkins, all, all these type of things. The Anything, food is kosher, but the plate's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, so the, a plate, though. Is not a tsura of chametz. It's, right. a, it's changed its form, so already that loses its status. Even if uh, technically a dog could eat the paper plate or a goat, let's say, you know, you might go out and your, you know, kids, you know, feed uh, <laughs> the goats paper bags or something. Um, so the, you know, certain animals might be able to eat these things. It's still it it it, it it's not a problem of chametz for a different reason because of this issue of losing its form. It's mm-hmm. being turned into something completely different. It's now used as a and again, Shocharach talks about glue on barrels and glue they used to stick on the windows. Um, you know, sort of like a in place of a, a window shade, they would like glue paper or something or to close up a hole in the window. And uh, so Shocharach talks about if it's done a certain amount of days before Pesach already, then it loses its. Uh, its status of being, even if that type of was just like a, a water flower type of mixture, where really technically it's edible. It's not like glues today; they have chemicals in them and all types of things. But so a paper towel roll will probably be more of a, a, a classic form of glue. They're not going to put in, you know, any any harsh chemicals into these things. But on the other hand, it completely loses its status of being a food, and therefore it's really not a problem at all. Right. Uh, Which is similar to some people like to be more careful about these things, and right. they want to throw off the last roll. You know, <laughs> again, I, it's so hard to tell people not to because we find even Shulchan Aruch says that you know th- there were chumras that the women used to take on for Pesach, <laughs> and the Shulchan Aruch says even though there's no basis for these things, uh, you shouldn't stop them from doing so. You know, this is <laughs> there's a Masora. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's no, there's almost nothing wrong with chumra de Pesach. You know, there's. <laughs> Is Chal of Yisrael one of those? I think this Chal of Yisrael fall. I, I know that. I think in uh, in my home we grew up. We we were very careful only to use Chal of Yisrael and Pesach. Uh, Pesach. Okay, so you know people that that would be a nice chumrah. Also, even people who all year round are you know are, are not careful about Chal of Yisrael and Pesach. The yes, be careful. Uh, so yeah, exactly, there, there are a lot of chumras that people different families take on for Pesach. And, uh, you know, so I, I, you know, I don't want to <laughs> tell anybody that they you know, are doing anything wrong or silly. It's not silly. If a person, you know, has such a hakbada, they're, you know, they, they only want to eat with certain hashkachas. They, they don't eat outside their house. They don't eat, you know, they only want to, you know. Okay, and then, and then that brings up, you mentioned before about Gabrox. So, okay, let's yeah. go back to that now. Um, so the minig of Gabrox was that, 
uh, rucks means broken. So broken matzah, I mean, it referred to people, you know, like break their matzah and they would, um, add water to it or juice and, you know, and then. Put in they, a soup, maybe. Exactly, add it to your soup. So you'd, you know, like the way you would put in matzah farfal in your soup. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if someone has the meaning, not deke rucks, they, they, they're not permitted to do that on Pesach. And the concern, of course, was that there might be some flour that's still inside the matzah that never got turned into dough and didn't get fully baked. Um, it, today, it, it's almost really not existent in our matzahs. Uh, in earlier days, they used to, uh, the matzahs used to be much uh, thicker. And, um, you know, the, the way they make matzahs today, it, it, you know, you're not going to really find any flour pockets in your in your thing. But, you know, you can imagine, like, when you bake a cake at home, and you, you know, especially if you're stirring it by hand, mm-hmm. um, you know, you see lumps in there. There could be little pockets of flour that aren't mixed in so well. And, the, you know, the concern is that those little pockets of flour could could then turn into chametz when they get uh, put into your soup. So, the, uh, for various reasons, this minig was, in certain communities, especially, it's more common today by the Hasidish communities, um, they, they didn't, uh, they wouldn't eat um, this type of, of matzah, the, you know, they wouldn't eat the matzah with, with, you know, with any water. Mm-hmm. And if people who have such a minig, so they should they should uh, follow their minig. And if people don't have that minig, so then they don't have no there's no need for them to accept it. You know, on the gone, uh, you know, who greater in the you know in the Litvishik community than the Vilna Gaon, and right. he he held that there's no reason to be machmer for it. So, uh, you know, again, if a person has the minig, of course they should follow it, and if they don't. Um, they're, you know, they could put their matzah, you know, eat matzah balls. You know, what could be more Pesach than the matzah balls? <laughs> the matzah balls, that's right. <laughs> You're listening to The Jewish Reaction, presented by the Orthodox Union on the Nachum Siegel Network. This is Naftali Herman filling in for Ellie Hagler. I'm here in studio with Rabbi Gerson, who works within the OU's Kashrut Department. We're talking about preparations for Pesach. Um, we haven't gotten to uh, really Bedigas Chametz yet, but I actually have a... Uh, uh, a story that I heard from a year, a few years ago. I don't actually even want to say which community it took place in, but um, it was the community where the um, the rub arranged for the chametz to be sold, and um, the whole community sold it to the rub. They had a certain individual, a non-Jew in the area that they sold it to, and it happened that on that Pesach, this uh, this non-Jewish man's daughter got engaged. And he knows that a lot of Jews have a lot of liquor in their homes. And he knocked on the rabbi's house. He knocked on the door. And he said, uh, you know, I have a big engagement party going on in my house right now. Um, can we get some liquor? And, um, you know, so the rabbi uh, took him over to, <laughs> to someone's house. And uh, when the man opened the door, he said, you know, we want to go to your liquor uh, cabinet. And he goes... What do you mean? It's my liquor. He's like, no, you sold it. He's like, oh, Rabbi, it's not really real. You know, I'm not really selling it. So the rabbi said, no, it's absolutely a real sale. Right. So um, <laughs> I always think about that every year. It's it's, it's really real. And I'm you know, even you know my wife and I, as we get close uh, to Pesach, we try on. You know, as much of uh, as possible. Uh, you know, down the, the inventory. The inventory. Uh, <laughs> maybe we don't go to Costco that month. We, uh, exactly. we go locally um, to really get rid of the chametz gemurah. Just uh, you know, go as basic as possible. Um, but even just the, the whole process of selling of selling chametz is, is a really fascinating uh, sure. um, aspect of, of getting ready for Pesach. Um, sure, the different in Hagen when it comes to selling. You know, the, some people will sell. We call, you know, hummus gummer, they'll sell bread and crackers and cereals and, you know, Cheerios and things like that. Um, there's some people who, 
you know, won't sell chametz cover, but they'll sell taruvis chametz, which is as long as the chametz is less than fifty percent. You know, it's a it's a minor ingredient in there. So a lot of the cereals you'll see oats, oat flour listed as a third ingredient. You know, corn flour, sugar, then oats. Um, you know, so to, you know they'll sell that, but you know, and the reasons for all these different minhagim, uh, not to sell chametz cover, you know, there's there is it's a valid minig, and some people will sell tarubis. Some people will say, no, I don't even want to sell tarubis chametz. If if there's any chametz in there, I won't sell it. I'll only sell, you know, if it's uh, if it's you know just uh, you know shash chametz or it's bottle in there or something that you know really technically doesn't even need to be sold at all. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, like let's say uh, mayonnaise. Uh, mayonnaise has vinegar in it. Well, vinegar today is mostly uh, uh, corn based, uh, made from corn vinegar. Uh, Turned from corn alcohol, in, you know, into into vinegar. So, you know, technically, strictly speaking, mayonnaise is not really chametz stick. But yet, no one will let you use obviously mayonnaise that's not kosher pesach because, you know, who wants to take the chayes? Maybe for some reason, that batch of vinegar that was used, who knows? Nobody mm-hmm. certified it. Maybe they got a cheap deal and they ended up using some other some other vinegar. So. Things like that. People will say, okay, I'll sell that. I'll sell my, my, uh, mayonnaise. I'll sell my, my ketchup and, you know, whatever, a few other items like that. Um, you know, your canned corn and your canned beans and whatever else you have. Uh, technically don't need to be sold at all, but, right. you know, again, people say, you know, I'm not going to use that on Pesach. I might as well sell it. You know, <laughs> it doesn't hurt me at all. So, <laughs> might as well just, it. so that, you know, obviously there's good reason to, to be lenient on that. I mean, it's not, you know, that's, that doesn't need really to be sold at all. So, and then there are people who you know don't even do a mechiras chametz. They'll just say, no, I'm I clean. I do pedika. I do you know. Right. And uh, so they're all different layers, different levels. Each of their own, and everyone can uh, obviously uh, speak to their local. Uh, sure, their, now, their I, local I know you route. mentioned just a second ago. You know, selling. Uh, we're talking about. You know, so there's another uh, aspect of selling chametz today, which is. Um, which is used as a method of getting around Batikas Hametz. Uh, there are people who don't, are, I don't, I don't want to use the word lazy, but they're, you know, overwhelmed. Let's use the mm-hmm. word. <laughs> they're overwhelmed by the, by, you know, the, by their, by life. And they have so much to do and taking care of their children and they're, and they're going away for Pesach. And they say, you know what? I'm just not going to clean. I'm not going to, not going to do anything. I'm just, just selling the whole house. You right. know, it's lock, stock and barrel. We're just giving the keys <laughs> to the rabbi and we're not going to be here for eight days and, you know, and so that's a, that's really um, something that they should speak over with their rabbi if they plan on doing that. Um, there, there is a place and a time for that. Uh, and I spoke, um, you know, about this many times with Rabbi Belsky. Uh, you know, elderly people who really can't—it's really—it's really overwhelming. Truly, right. you know, they really have no. Uh, so there is a place for that. You know, they obviously can't own the chametz and they can't really do petikas chametz. So there's reasons to be lenient on them, but it's, it's not something that a person should think of as their l'chatchilo. There is a mitzvah of b'dikas chametz. Um, there is a, you know, uh, you know uh, Rav Shechter always tells over a story. He says uh, there was one year, you know, a whole bunch of, he lives in uh, Washington Heights, a lot of young families that live over there, and they go away for Pesach, you know, like we just mentioned, and uh, they, uh, you know, they, there were a lot of families who didn't plan on doing any b'dika, they were just selling everything with the rabbi, I'm taking note because this is applicable to my wife and I. We're, 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 we're actually not going to be home for Yante. Okay, exactly. But, but we're still going to clean. Okay, there you go. So he says there were, there were a whole bunch of families. They didn't clean. They did nothing. And then came Erev Pesach. There was a big snowstorm. 
and everybody's pace of plans were changed the last minute. He says the people were frantic now. <laughs> what are you going to do? They, you know, finding places for the star room. You know, okay, that was, you know, not, he, he, a lot of people stayed, you know, ate by him that year and, you know, mm-hmm. they found other places. But now, wait a second, no one did Batikas Chomets. And, you know, so things happen, you know, and, uh, oftentimes a person says, oh, I'm not doing Batikas Chomets. And then a neighbor needs to borrow a room. They want to use the house. They want to, you know, you, you can't even give it up to them to use because Batikas Chomets wasn't, wasn't done. Um, yeah, it's a good chinuch. You know, children should see people being involved in a mitzvah and you know taking caring about it. And but again, each person should discuss this type of issue with their rabbi. And you know, if it really is overwhelming, it really people say, I really, I, you know, I, I I can't. I'm just getting by as is. It's not really possible. Okay, so then there is definitely a place to just say I'm selling the whole house and. And I'm not going to do, but if, if one can, it's definitely the right thing to do, is at least to do Batikas Hametz. Even if you're not going to clean it the same way as you were if you were staying home, mm-hmm. at the very least, uh, the night of the Batikas Hametz, or the last night that you're going to be at home, you know, take the flashlight and to uh, go and search around the house. It'll take you a few hours, you know, maybe, uh, you know, but at least you've done the mitzvah and... You know, within the search itself for the actual Badikas Chametz, where, where is the line between Halach and Chametz? And we all have the idea of 10 pieces of bread or 10 pieces of Chametz. I, mean, I could tell you as, as a kid growing up, my, my sisters would hide, when we went to shul, my sisters would hide uh, the 10 pieces of bread. And my mother was very careful. They always had to have a list because there, there was one year we only found nine. And we, <laughs> we really had to look for that 10 piece. But, uh, I mean, they were very creative, my sisters. They used to sometimes take picture frames off the wall, just lean it off like a half an inch, sneak a, you know, a piece of uh, bread. Obviously, okay. in, in our home, it was, it was in like five Ziploc bags. You know, Chasasham, <laughs> a pizza came out. But, uh, I mean, places Chamech would never, ever go. And it became a real scavenger home, which was great chinuch for us as children just to be very involved and it was exciting. Right. Um, not as exciting as my father then would say, okay, actually have to go to your bedroom and really go through all your drawers and really, really <laughs> clean up, you know, the real spring cleaning. But exactly. um, but the idea of the ten pieces, where, where, where's that? Where's that from? Okay, so the way we do batikas chametz today, which is really the right way, is that we first clean up the house. It, it's really, I mean, I mentioned before, you know, at the very least, you know, if you didn't clean up the house, you still to do a batikas chametz at the end. But the re, the right way to do it is the way we all know is to really clean and vacuum, and so you get to the point where it becomes the night of batikas chametz, and there really shouldn't be any chametz anywhere. I, I've checked everywhere, I know. So even still, we have a mitzvah to do it at night and to do it with a flashlight and to do it certain, very carefully and to look in certain corners and certain areas. Um, you know, and, and sort of like what you're doing is you're, you're now um, doing like a double check. You're, you're um, you know, sort of like the, you're making sure everyone's done their job and, and everything's in order. But the problem, of course, is you're not going to find any chametz or hopefully you're not going to be finding any chametz. And so there was a question of, since we make a bracha on the checking of the chametz, on right. the, uh, you know, is that, if I don't find anything, is that a bracha levatala? And therefore, they, 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 you know, there are those who say it's not, and there are those who say maybe it is. Um, so, therefore, they became a minig to put out ten pieces of bread. Um, like this, we're guaranteed to find chametz. Mm-hmm. 
of course, it it has other good uses too. It makes gives people the incentive to look. You know, sometimes a person feels like there's nothing there anyway. I know there's nothing there, so you know they they don't really do such a good job. When you know there's something there and you know it's been hid really well, right? You, you know, see so check now checking behind um, picture frames. Picture frames a little too far. <laughs> I mean, it's not a makom shemachnis and bochametz. It's not a place that anybody ever stores chametz. So technically speaking, you don't have to check behind the window frames. But apparently, uh, I mean the picture frames. But apparently in your family it is so Nina pay attention <laughs> <laughs> so you know yeah so it, it has uh, many benefits to this you know obviously it gets the kids involved it's uh, you know it's great chinuch the they, you know, kids are motivated and finding and searching you know checking and searching um, and that's really you know that's that's a lot of it is you know and, and, and people feel good that they find it and that they you know they have what to burn at the end uh, on the idea of burning so many people have the minog to uh, throw their uh, lulav from sukkahs in. Exactly, is, right. That's where, a, where, does, where does that come from? So There's a minute that we, since we use the lulav to do one mitzvah, we want to use it to do additional mitzvahs. And what, you know, obviously it's all dried out now. We can't really use the, the lulav for any other mitzvah. You know, so we, we try to use it for burning the chametz. Uh, so, so people will do that. They'll take the lulavs. You'll see a lot of lulavs burning in the, you know, in the, <laughs> in the you know, especially if a community-wide uh, burning of the chametz, you'll find that. So that's a, yeah, it's an appropriate, it's a nice, it's a nice minute to have. I think we had a, it must have been four or five years where we always forgot to burn the lulav. <laughs> and, you know, that year when we finally remembered, we, I mean, you had some re, it, 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 I mean, it, it burnt very that's quickly. Right. Very dry, very <laughs> it dry. It was very work. dry after sitting in the garage for a bunch of years. You're listening to The Jewish Reaction, presented by the Orthodox Union on the Nachum Siegel Network. This is Naftali Herman filling in for Ellie Hagler. Um, we have here in studio uh, Rabbi Gerson, who works within the OU's Conscious Department. We're talking about uh, preparing for Pesach this year, Pesach 2014. So we have the, uh, the all-new uh, OU guide to Passover this year. What's new for 2014? Okay, so um, there's actually a very nice article. It's not, I don't think it's in the... Uh, guide, but it's online. If you check out on um, ouPassover.org, or you can go to you can go just to ouKosher.org and then uh, click on the Passover section. Um, there's a nice article by Rabbi Singer. Rabbi Singer, of course, is the uh, is the rabbi at the OU who's in charge of, of of Passover productions. Of you know, so everything through anything dealing with Pesach goes through his desk, mm-hmm. and uh, he highlights over there some of the main. New items that are uh, available this year. Uh, some of them are maybe around for other years, but uh, you know they're, they're they're good things to know about. Um, one one item I, I I've not noticed this before, but it, he mentions this over here. There's a new product called Akedem has now something called fresh pressed grape juice. It's made without sulfites. I know some people have an issue with that, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's that's another alternative for them for drinking. Uh, you know. I think there have been some wines that have made without sulfites, but now there's a grape juice made without sulfites. Oh, wow. Um, there is a whole, for, for Svardim, there's a whole line of OU Kidneot items. Uh, Manischewitz has a whole uh, whole line. It's called Kidney is the is the name brand for mm-hmm. their, you know, this is the Manischewitz Kidney line, and it includes uh, things even including uh, peanut butter, popcorn, um, chickpeas, corn, so they have a lot. Of, they have rice cakes. Uh, so they, you know, basically you, you know, you can have your <laughs> whatever you used to eating throughout the year. You can have now on on Pesach as well. Is there a special OU Kidneyos uh, logo? Yeah, exactly. Right. So it will not say on it OUP. 
Um, we don't want to confuse people, you know, by using that P. Uh, or no, <laughs> Pesach. Yeah, because, you know, that's used for the, for the, uh, non-kidneyote items. But it says on it, OU kidneyote. And, um, you know, and, and it'll, you know, so. They're, hard, they're, hard to miss it. Exactly, yeah. Um, there are other, uh, products as well. Uh, back to the Canon for just a second. Um, he, he mentions over here, he notes that the, uh, the grape juice, there's always, you always get this question about which OU grape juices are mavushal and which ones are not. Um, he writes it basically all the OU Kedem grape juice are mavushal except for the, uh, one and a half liter glass bottles. And those are clearly labeled non-mavushal. So, but aside from that, all other Kedem grape juice, uh, is mavushal, you know, the Costco ones or the, you know, the big plastic bottles and et cetera. Those are all mavushal grape juice. Um, so, you know, okay, there's uh, a whole list here of different matzahs that the OU certifies. Um, Aviv, Osim, Yehuda, Rishon, Holy Land matzah, a whole, whole list. Uh, okay, and and uh, different, uh, they, they have machine shmura matzah for some of these, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's a whole line of matzahs. Um, so, you know, a person should definitely check it out. Now, there are also gluten-free matzahs, so to speak. They're really shahakal because they're not made, obviously, with any of the five grains. Um, they're not; they should not be used for the seder. Then, you know, they're sort of the word matzah is sort of a misnomer. <laughs> they're, uh, I guess, crackers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they had them last year too. And uh, you know, now uh, I think there are a few brands now that are selling them as well. So. Uh, so Goldbaum's, Manischewitz, uh, Yehuda, a few, uh, Kedem, I think, makes one also as well. So uh, this is something that's becoming, gaining popularity, these, these gluten-free uh, crackers. And, um, yeah, it's great. You know, it's always great looking for a snack on Pesach for something that one doesn't necessarily have to watch for. So exactly, really sure. falls into that category. Yeah, so they found a, they found a market for this. <laughs> um there is a Coca-Cola again this year, the regular and diet. Um, they have the uh, yellow caps. Yellow caps, here. exactly. Look for those yellow caps. You know, and I mean, you just mentioned it's true with a lot of items. You, when a person, it's good to make sure, um, you know, you, you go into the store and you see a section that's supposed to be Karshla Pesach and you grab, you know, 10 of the cans of whatever. Really, mm-hmm. you should look each one, make sure it says on it the OUP. Sometimes person, uh, goes to a different section, picks up one, you know, let's say with these, you know, Coca-Cola, for instance, they might be walking to a different aisle, picking up a regular Coke, and then say, oh, you know what, hey, this is a Pesach one, I, uh, and I'll, I'll exchange it. You know, they put down... It's a great point, and a yeah. worker could have put it there accidentally. Exactly, you know. definitely have to look at it before, uh, before so, purchasing. You know, so don't just assume because it's in a certain section. That's why the yellow caps are really such a nice idea, because it stands out, you see it from the top, you notice it right away, that these are the Koshla Pesach ones. Uh, but really, it's something that you know applies to all the different foods. Make sure double check them. Um, <laughs> you know, check in the store, double check before Pesach what you have in your house. I, all the time. I mean, it's the most common question we get is, "Oh, it was in the you know we we already cooked with it, and you know I, it looked just like the kosher Pesach one." Mm-hmm. And it, very often, the the um, you know the the wrappers the. The packaging are very similar, and the only distinction is this one has the P and this one doesn't. Right. And that's a you know obviously makes a very big difference. So. Would you, would you say uh, you know we're talking about preparations for Pesach and what's new for 2014? 
How did things change from year to year? Are things becoming more simple or are they becoming more complex? Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, certain uh, products, so they, um, you know, once we've done it already, you know, the uh, Rabbi Singer already has it all set up, uh, the production schedule, the, you know, it, it's already, um, sometimes though companies, uh, you know, they want to, I'll give you an example over here, you know, this year obviously the, the quinoa, so it's already, though you had to make this decision many months ago that they were going to do it because, um, there are a few brands now of quinoa that are being uh, sold under the OU. Um, uh, let me see what it says here. Pereg, Goldbaum, those are two brands that are being sold now. Mm-hmm. They have to be packaged in South America with Ashkaka Tamidis. They have to be packaged after they're harvested. So it means they have to be there at a certain time of year. Right. And uh, so these things could take months and months of pre-planning that they should be done uh, correctly. So hopefully for next year already it'll be, you know, it'll already be on schedule. We know exactly you know how to do it and when when they have to come and when it'll be done and everything. Uh, but when you do it the first time, you're it's really a lot of these things become difficult to schedule. Trial and error also. Sure, exactly. To get to that point. Um, you know, we really come so far. I mean, it's not my generation, but I used to always hear these stories from my father growing up. Of, oh, you kids, you have it so easy now. For us, for Pesach and Washington Heights, of all places, you know, it was just potatoes and, and matzah. And, you know, nowadays, you know, just looking, you know, flipping through Jewish action or flipping through the, the OU guide to Passover for this year, um, or even just going through any uh, Jewish newspaper and looking at all the ads that display the, the buffets for, uh, for Pesach, you wouldn't almost even know that it's Pesach with all the types of food that, that are being made today. Um, it's really incredible how far we've come. That's an excellent point. And, um, you know, obviously there are advantages to this. You know, uh, makes it much easier for people to keep Pesach. It makes it, um, you know, it's more accessible. Uh, you know, so, you know, if it's easier to do it, people will do it. And, uh, you know, if you make it things too difficult, so then there's a certain segment of the community that, you know, just won't be able to, you know, they, they, they can't live without their... You know, this type of coffee or that type of uh, <laughs> whatever it is, and you know, you know, obviously people who have gone through, you know, the like your grandfather's generation, you know, parents' generation, um, they have a very much greater appreciation for Pesach because right. you know they 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 earned it, so to speak. They worked and they toiled for it, and it meant something. On the other hand. You know, there is a benefit to providing, uh, you know, obviously those who want that still, you know, they, they can still do that. There's no need to buy uh, products. You know, some people have a policy that they don't allow any, um, you know, factory-made products into their home. Everything is handmade for Pesach, homemade, and they don't eat out, and they, you know, then that's great. Um, but the, the, the at least having the availability, having the options for today for people is something that's, you know, that's something that's also important. There's so many options nowadays. It's really incredible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really it's, it's such not a just the Pesach aisle anymore. It's the Pesach aisles. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's absolutely correct. You can find more information about uh, Rabbi Gerson and then the OU Guide by going to www.ouKosher.org and clicking on the uh, Pesach icon there, or you can actually go to there's a direct link. It's OU Passover. OU Passover. Uh, dot org. Dot org uh, to get it directly. 
Rigerson, thank you so much for being here and for being a part of the show. Our listeners and I have learned a lot, and I'm sure uh, my wife will now tell me that because I'm more knowledgeable about Pesach preparation, that I have no excuse not to help out more. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here. Uh, my pleasure. Questions, thoughts, or comments, we love to hear them. You can contact the show by emailing ellie at nachumsegel.com. Thank you to our producer extraordinaire, Alex Cook, on the other side of the glass. Be sure to tune in next week when Ellie Hagler will be back in his usual spot. We'll close the show, as we do whenever I fill in for Ellie, with this beautiful instrumental piece, Butterfly, by C. Landsbum and Noah Solomon, on the album by the same name.
On behalf of the Jewish Reaction, I am Naftali Herman signing off and wishing you a wonderful and blessed day. Shalom.